Ireland is known for its beautiful countrysides and beautiful people. But what lurks in the shadows of the Emerald Isle? Vampires, poltergeists, and ghosts await those who dare to sit through the tales of terrors we have in store today from Ireland. podcast about bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another edition of the KMH Podcast. I am your benevolent overlord, Brad. Today we've got a special edition of our podcast because I see that on our calendar, this episode will be coming out on St. Patrick's Day, and in an effort to pander to the masses, we are going to do a special episode about all the spooky ghost stories from Ireland I could find that fits into a reasonable amount of time. But before we begin, we're going to do something educational so you can learn about Ireland. So I have here some fun facts about the Emerald Isle, so you can walk away educated and sound smart, pass these off at parties to show what a worldly man or woman of culture you are. First fun fact, not only do we get to thank Ireland for the St. Patrick's Day holiday, but Ireland is considered the nation responsible for the creation of what we now call Halloween. It's based on an ancient Celtic harvest festival. I never would have guessed that Ireland would be responsible for two of my addictions, the second being candy. We have all those wacky pagans to thank for that. Number two, Middleton, which is a small town in Ireland, has a monument to the Choctaw Nation, which is interesting. Why have this monument? Because during the Great Famine, also known as the Great Potato Famine, the Choctaw Nation managed to send Ireland what would be about $5,000 in today's money in spite of the Choctaw Nation having just survived the Trail of Tears. So, that's kind of warm and fuzzy there. That makes you feel good. Third, interestingly, and for some reason I don't know, Ireland has the lowest number of annual UFO reports in all of Europe. Clearly, aliens aren't interested in good liquor. But please remember this fact when the invasion does come. Everyone head to Ireland. We should be safe there. They have not mapped that region very well. Fun fact number four. When you think of polar bears, you should think of Ireland. Why? Apparently, all polar bears in the world can trace their lineage back to a single female brown bear from Ireland who lived between twenty and 50,000 years ago. She must have been quite a hussy to worth all the polar bears we have now. Fun fact number five, Johnny Cash once got in a fistfight with former Prime Minister Charles Hawley in 1978 after Hawley refused to call Cash anything but Sue in reference to the country star's famous song, A Boy Named Sue. Somewhat surprisingly, Hawley won the fight, and Cash vowed never to set foot in Ireland again. And fun fact number six, there's a town in Ireland that hosts a festival called the Puck Fair. 
What is the Puck Fair? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. It justifies my research. The residents of this town capture a wild goat. And with the assistance of the Queen of the Puck, who is often a local schoolgirl, they crown this goat King Puck. The newly crowned king is placed on top of a 40-foot pedestal for the duration of the celebration, which is three days. There is, and this may surprise you, so hold on to your seats, lots of drinking that occurs during this festival. After everybody's had their fun and libations, the goat is released back into the wild. We don't know, however, how sober the goat is at the time of release. All right, well, to to test your listening skills and your general knowledge, one of these fun facts is not a fact. Some might even call it a lie. So which one is it? Well, the Johnny Cash, Charles, highway fight never really happened, at least as far as I know. So that's it. School time's over. Now you know everything you need to know or will ever need to know about Ireland. Congratulations. Expect to be appointed ambassador any day now. So our first story is on the Irish vampire king. Irish-born Bram Stoker is known for his exceedingly famous work, the novel Dracula. Many people know that this famous vampire is based on Vlad the Impaler of Romania. Yet he may have received a touch of inspiration from his own country. Many, many, many years ago, in the lands east of Foyle, and once again with any episode that involves any name or location harder to pronounce than Smith, I apologize for the butchery that I will no doubt cause when pronouncing these names. But there lived a chieftain or perhaps a minor petty king known as Abertart. He was not a beloved leader. In fact, he was notorious for his vindictiveness and cruelty towards everyone, including his own people. Based on his name, it's likely that Abertart was considered a dwarf or suffered from some other deformity. Or maybe he was just short in stature. Or maybe his parents just thought he was a total brat. In addition to being just a total prick, Abertark managed to meddle with the dark arts. This is how he remained in power for so long, despite being a less-than-ideal specimen to defend his little kingdom. And particularly when his own people wanted to watch him die slowly and painfully. Consistent with his crazy evil nature... Abertark also was a bit of a jealous lover. Convinced his wife was being unfaithful, he stealthily climbed out of a castle window to track his wife one evening, hoping to catch her in the act of infidelity. His feet failed him, however, and the malicious king slipped, falling to his death. When his body was discovered by his subjects the next day, he was quickly buried in an upright position, as was the style at the time for rulers. Presumably, his subjects mourned the rest of the day, and by mourned I mean partied until their pants fell off. I suspect plans were made on the proper way to appoint a new dictator during these drunken festivities, but all that was for naught. The next morning, everyone was shocked 
to see Averhark was back. Very much alive-ish. Something was off. It may have been his dirty clothes or his messed up hair or, or perhaps the fact that he was holding an empty bowl demanding that everybody give him some blood. Terrified, rightfully so, his people complied, but also snuck out to get some help. So they went to a neighboring land and begged the chieftain, Catherine, for help delivering them from their now evil and undead king. Catherine agreed and quickly went and killed the king. Again, he was buried. But, just like the cat that wouldn't stay away, Abertart came back the very next day with the same bowl and the same demand for blood. Again, Catherine was called upon, and again, Catherine slew the king. And yet another burial was held. And Abertak came back the next morning. Angered and bewildered, Catherine sought out the wisdom of a holy man. After some prayer, the man advised Catherine that Abertak couldn't be killed because he's already dead. However, if Catherine pierces Abertak's heart with a sword made from a yew tree, buries the evil king upside down, then covers the burial site with thorn bushes and ash branches, and threw a heavy stone slab on top, that would probably do it. So, Catherine follows these instructions, and Abertak did not come back the next day, or ever again. Nevertheless, this day, local residents avoid the gravesite. And some have reported strange experiences around the evil king's final resting place. I'm curious how difficult it would be to actually stab someone with a wooden sword. I mean, I know the Legend of Zelda taught us all that it's not safe to go anywhere without one. And I still carry one to court to this day. But I just don't trust that I could pierce a sternum with it. But, you know, alas, maybe I'm not meant to be the next Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Our next tale is about the Cunyan Ghost, which is one of the most famous ghost stories in all of Ireland. The house where the story originates stands near Brookborough, though the house is essentially in ruins now. We go back to the early 1900s, shortly after the Murphy family loses their patriarch, Michael Murphy in a very freak accident. Mrs. Murphy, her son, and her five daughters trudge on despite this massive loss. Shortly after Michael's strange death, odd things start happening around the Murphy's house. There would be knocks on the door, but no one would be there. Then the knocks became more frequent and began emanating from other doors and even the windows. Strange, heavy footsteps also started being heard in the storage area above the house. The Murphys tried to find a source for these noises, yet discovered nothing. Well, eventually the Murphys decided to turn this into a sideshow and invited friends and neighbors over to experience the events to make sure, in part, that they just weren't crazy. The audience was exceptionally entertained, but... It seems Mr. Murphy didn't take kindly to this, and things kind of got worse. 
Now, instead of just knocks and heavy footsteps, we get dishes being thrown around the kitchen, beds lifting off the ground. You know how it goes. The family was so shaken, they called their priest, Father Coyle. So, Father Coyle visits the family house to witness these events, and he is also given a show. Pots and pans smashed into the walls on their own. These shadowy figures appeared and disappeared all around the house. After sitting through the evening's entertainment, Father Coyle seeks and receives permission to perform not one, but two exorcisms on the home. During the exorcisms, bedsheets would rise to the ceiling. Cups and plates would smash into the walls, and audible groans could be heard coming from the storage area. Alas, sadly, neither exorcism takes, and the Murphy home returns to a world of nightmares. At this time, you would expect your friends and neighbors to band around together and really support you. But instead, rumors start spreading that the Murphys must be in league with demons. The most popular rumor was that the son was practicing witchcraft, having allegedly found a book in the woods titled, and I'm not making this up, The Legions of Doom. So he allegedly began summoning demons and other dark spirits, presumably wearing plastic red football pads with black spikes coming out of them. So due to the son's unhealthy interest in the occult, the townsfolk decided that, you know what? This haunting, it's on y'all. It's a self-inflicted wound. Y'all deal with it. Well, this was the straw that broke the Murphy's back, and they said, screw it. They got up and decided to just abandon the house and move to America. They began crossing the Atlantic Ocean in 1913. But unfortunately, this does not prove to be a solution to their problems. Noises followed them. Knocking and banging could be heard on their cabin walls and on their cabin door at all hours. It was so bad that their neighbors began complaining to the captain, who got kind of ticked off and threatened to toss the family off the ship if they didn't keep the noise under control. But the nonsense continues. Now, I'm a husband. I'm a father with far too many kids. And I celebrate with such joy when I get the house to myself for a few moments. So if this is Mr. Murphy, I don't understand what he's so upset about. He's got some peace and quiet now at the house. But I digress. The Murphys make it to America, set up shop there, and continue to experience the sad nightmare life that they left behind. Fortunately, over time, these experiences did wane and ultimately ended for good, giving the family peace. Yet, it was too much for one of the daughters to handle. She was so traumatized by the experiences she mentally broke and it ended up being hospitalized for the rest of her life. Allegedly, the Kuyan house is still haunted. Teenagers visit the spot on dares and stories continue to pour out regarding mysterious occurrences. 
I think one of the biggest unsolved mysteries we have is how Mr. Murphy was able to book passage back to Ireland from America in a non-corporeal form. Okay, so now let's do a tale that starts off like a Disney princess story and ends like a grim fairy tale. This one is called The Faceless Lady of Belvillery Castle. With a name like that, you know it has to be kind of good. Belvillery Castle sits majestically on the shore of the Great Island in Cork Harbor. In the 17th century, it was occupied by one Margaret Hodent, who was known throughout all the lands for her beauty. Like, she wasn't just cute. She was said to be a legendary beauty. I mean, in today's world, she would be, like, a top Instagram influencer. She's, like, if she was into the comic book anime scene, she could probably sell her bathwater. We're talking that level of hotness. Allegedly. A hot chick from the 1600s may look like a water buffalo by today's standards. I don't know. I've never met anybody from that time period. But anyway. All right. Story. Back to that. Because she was so beautiful and amazing looking, she was a touch vain. And she owned mirrors. Like, lots and lots of mirrors. In today's world, that's not a big deal. But back in the 1600s, only the truly wealthy could afford to buy a mirror. And she would use these mirrors quite a lot. She would spend many an hour admiring her own beauty. Now, obviously, Margaret had many suitors. None more persistent, shall we say, than Lord Rockenby. Again and again and again, he sought her hand in marriage. And again and again and again, she refused. Some legends paint her as a bit of a tease, leading Lord Rockenby on, only to reject his advances. Regardless, a lord can only have his pride wounded so many times. So Lord Rockenby plans an invasion, somewhat unwisely. He decides, after consulting with his military advisors, that these soldiers of this land were too pampered and too soft to be able to withstand any sort of meaningful invasion. They wouldn't have the intestinal fortitude to withstand his well-trained and strong army. But Lord Rockenby was wrong. While he certainly had the stronger forces, Margaret's men were actually able to hold off on the invasion. The invasion kind of went from one of advancement to one of a siege warfare. One that seemingly would never end. Yet Margaret held out for over a year before finally relenting. Once Lord Rockenby had access to Margaret's council, he directly sought her out. However, the siege had taken a significant toll on Margaret. She had lost much of her beauty and now appeared to be a starving, shriveled shell of her former self. Lord Rockenby was disgusted by Margaret's new look and in frustration smashed her favorite mirror on the wall. In this moment of passion, Margaret's brother took advantage and ran Lord Rockenby through with a sword, killing him. Um, I guess the rest of his forces just kind of shrugged their shoulders and decided that it was time to head to the local Krispy Kreme for a post-battle treat. Don't really know. They just kind of faded into the background. So, quick summary. Margaret was super hot, also a mega tease. Rockin' By was kind of hot-headed and tired of Margaret's games. 
He sieged her castle for a year, which really wasn't good for Margaret's skin or bone structure. Probably caused a few wrinkles. Rockin'By finds out the hot girl isn't the hot girl anymore and throws a hissy fit, at which point he gets stabbed in a sword. So, I think we can all agree it's a shame that Tinder wasn't a thing back then. That probably would have solved everybody's problem. Sadly, this event drove Margaret to insanity. She spent her days going from mirror to mirror to see if her beauty had returned, but was disappointed with each glance. She refused to leave the castle and eventually died therein, still waiting for her beauty to return. Belvory Castle still stands to this day, and it seems Margaret may still reside there. Locals say she continues to roam the halls, looking for a mirror to see if her beauty has returned. She's described as wearing all white with a veiled face. However, should you happen to catch a glance of her without the veil, you will see that she has absolutely no face. Just a smooth old bag of skin. Visitors have also noticed that several of the stones in the castle are unusually smooth to the point of being nearly reflective. This is attributed to Margaret's rubbing the stones, looking for her mirrors. Indeed, the wall where her favorite mirror hung before being destroyed is said that every stone on that wall is completely smooth and offers a faint reflection from the decades of her rubbing and staring. Our next tale is about Ireland's most haunted castle. Leap Castle advertises itself as Ireland's most haunted castle. I don't know who's responsible for certifying these things, but I will take the castle at its word. The O'Bannon clan was responsible for building this castle back in the 13th century. As you might expect, since the story's on my podcast, bad things started happening almost immediately. Indeed, before the first stone was even laid, the leaders of the O'Bannon clan, two brothers, decided that there really just needed to be, you know, one chieftain with sole, you know, executive, probably legislative and judicial power too. To decide who should carry this title, the two did not engage in a rousing debate, a democratic election, or even a demonstration of prowess in battle. They didn't even consider a nailed-it-style bake-off. Instead, they decided that the true chieftain of this clan would be the one who could jump from the highest point on the mound where the castle would be located and see who lived. I suspect people today would be much more interested in politics if this is how we solved our disputes. Because of this progressive style of governance, the castle became known as Leap of the O'Bannons. Sadly, not long after introducing this new form of conflict resolution to the world, the O'Bannon clan was taken over by the O'Carrolls, who really wanted the new shiny castle. The Carrolls were considered pretty power-hungry and ended up being responsible for many murders at Leap Castle. Like, many, many, many murders. History repeated itself as the O'Carrolls' chieftain died without naming an heir. He had two sons who debated who should take over as the new chieftain. Having learned from the O'Bannon's mistake, they did not 
determine the new leadership role by jumping to their desk. No. Instead, after respectful and considerate debates failed, one brother just stabbed the other in the castle's chapel, by the way, during Mass. Um, He was a little scoundrel, as you could tell. That chapel is now known as the Bloody Chapel, and stories tell that the murdered son haunts this portion of the castle. Well, the O'Carrolls somehow found a way to become even more bloodthirsty after their new leader took power. One story claims the O'Carrolls invited an allied clan over for a feast to celebrate a hard-won victory over a rival clan. Yet, the food they served was a little bit poisoned, I guess you'd say. And so, that clan was totally wiped out. There's also a ghost that allegedly resides in the castle known as the Red Lady, who's believed to be a captured woman that was raped to death by the O'Carroll clan. These uh, weren't good neighbors, the O'Carrolls. Neighborhood associations today would have a fit over this family. Their reign of terror finally ended in the 17th century. It was ended by the power of love. Well, love and a a sword. One of the ladies of the clan fell in love with a prisoner named Captain Darby and helped him escape so they could elope romantically. During the escape, Captain Darby was attacked by the lady's brother. The captain managed to defeat the brother and kill him, which happened to leave the lady as the sole heir to the castle, so the Darby clan moved in. Unfortunately, things didn't go well for the Darbys in their new crib. Rather than enjoying a fairy tale ending, Captain Darby was later imprisoned in Dublin for many, many years for allegedly treasonous activities. Eventually, he was released back to his castle, but this imprisonment had caused Darby to lose his mind. He spent his days in the castles wandering around, burying his treasure so nobody could find him. After his death... People reported that his spirit could be seen roaming the halls, looking for the treasure he had buried during his life. Some claim the treasures are still hidden in the castle. If we fast forward to the 19th century, the Darbys were dying off. The castle fell to one Jonathan Charles Darby, who married Mildred Dill in 1889. Dill was a bit of a character. She was a supposed mystic who could consult with the dead. She also happened to be a gothic novelist. So those two fed off of it. Those two careers fed off of each other. Now, Dill's dabblings in the occult appeared to awaken something nasty in the castle. She called it an elemental. It was described as being about the size of a sheep that was very thin and shadowy but it had a face of a human with dark caverns for an eyes. It also stank like nothing ever stank before. You know, again, it's funny that someone who writes about ghost stories for a living happens to see a ghost in the castle. During the Irish War of Independence, the Darbys were forced to leave the castle. The castle was subjected to bombing and looting and just wasn't taken care of very well. 
during exploration by some of the invaders to the castle, if we can call them that, a horrible, horrible room was discovered that contained three cartloads of skeletons. The top of the room was a trap door, and the bottom of the room had vicious-looking spikes installed into the floor and the lower walls. So it was obviously a place where, I'm going to guess the O'Carrolls took their people, tricked them into falling down the trapdoor and dying. Yet it wasn't just the O'Carrolls that used it because one of the skeletons had a pocket watch. So it was used close to the time that it was discovered. Today, the Ryan family owns and operates the castle, sometimes allowing the public to tour the grounds and occasionally the buildings. The Ryans claim that they see unexplained activity to this day, but you'd kind of have to to hold on to your title of Ireland's most haunted castle. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will conclude our tales of terror about the land of Ire. I hope you've enjoyed this little foray out of our standard format to celebrate the Irish culture. Or at least the ghoulish part thereof. In fairness to me, I also shared some fun facts so you learned a little while you were entertained. It was a thing of beauty. Now, my personal favorite podcast, The Strange Sessions, which really all of y'all should immediately subscribe to, does a feature called Strange States once or twice a year where they take a state in the United States, talk about weird stories from there, cryptids that supposedly reside there, and spend a week doing that. I thought that was a great idea, and that was the inspiration behind me really doing this episode on Ireland. And I hope to continue doing this, picking out countries throughout the world from time to time. If you would like your country featured, just give me a shout. Now, regardless of how you feel about this episode, I mean, I know you loved it. You all love me and everything I produce, primarily because of my grand humility. But I want to send a special shout-out and lots of love to our Irish listeners. Yes, we actually have Irish listeners. Our little cult spans the seven seas at this point. We're poised to take over the world. You just need and are waiting on my command. (laughs) Now, even though I would argue it's not necessary, my recently turned eight-year-old will not let me get away without including a palate cleanser at this point. So here we go. How do they fix cars in Scotland? I told him this was an episode about Ireland, so he gives me a Scottish joke. How do they fix cars in Scotland? They use Scotch tape, of course. Thus concludes another audio portrait of divine enchantment. I know it touched you all deeply, moved you to tears, really changed how you looked at the world. Now, since I've done this for you, I'm going to ask a favor for me. Please show your appreciation for this wonderful art I produce every week by leaving a five-star review 
and sharing this podcast with someone you love and want to be entertained. Then force that person to leave a five-star review and make them share this podcast with another. We're going to climb the charts and take over the world through a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme of horror and glory. (laughs) It will be wonderful. Okay. I'm tired. I'm going to go take a nap. So with that, this bread truck is going to haul buns, folks. Stay healthy. Please stay healthy. Stop buying toilet paper like crazy people. And be safe. I'm out. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.